And we have much to give thanks for this morning. God's given us another day. And we want to use it for Him. And we have much to give thanks because this is the Lord's Day. And this is a day we can celebrate the resurrection. Obviously, we should do that every day, of course. But on Sunday, we remember that of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who had victory over sin and death and rose again, and gives us a reason to come together, uh, much more than just even that we like each other, or we want to see each other, or these are our friends or family. Uh, this is a relationship that we have because of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you have a personal relationship with Him. If you don't, I hope that you can uh, understand more about that and receive Christ even today. And uh, we're looking forward to worshiping Him together in song this morning and being able to hear from His Word together this morning. And so let's bow our heads in prayer now. Let's go to the Lord and ask Him to bless our service, and we'll give Him the glory for all that's done. Father, we thank You for this day, this opportunity to come and worship You. I pray that You would use Your Word this morning to speak to our hearts. Lord, we need encouragement from You. We need to be challenged today. We need help that only comes from you. Lord, you've said in your word that every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from above. From the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. We live in a world that's turning and changing and issues are arising constantly. There are many unknowns that we face and Lord, we look to you, the God who is unchanging, the God who gives good gifts, the God who loved us enough to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sin. Help us as we take time this morning to be reminded of your truth, to be encouraged from your word, to enjoy the fellowship of brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, we thank you for allowing us to be together today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest. And be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, and thou, God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest 
not in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings, and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. I was um, reading this week, and some of you have been reading along with us and reading through the Bible this year, and we're also reading Psalms each day. And one of the Psalms we read this week, I had Freddie read it this morning, Psalm 51. The Lord really spoke to my heart when I was reading that Psalm this week. And there's lots of verses, and this isn't the message. This is the message before the message, I guess, here. But. Uh, Two verses that God really just brought out in a fresh way to me were in Psalm 51. In verse 12, he says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. I've read that verse, I've thought about that verse, I've memorized that verse, and we think about the joy of our salvation, but I never really paid attention in the context to the very next verse. Because he says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And then in the next verse, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And I got to thinking, I wonder if maybe we don't see God at work or see sinners coming to repentance like we want to or see the results that maybe we'd like to see at times or wonder why our witness is not as effective as we'd like it to be. And maybe it's because we need the joy of our salvation restored. I hope that this morning as you've heard these songs sung of dedication to the Lord, I'd rather have Jesus than anything, singing about God's grace, grace greater than all of my sin. Boy, it gives you a lot of reason to have joy in your salvation, doesn't it? There's a lot of things in this world going on that don't give a lot of joy. A lot of fighting, a lot of bickering, a lot of fear, a lot of struggle, a lot of unknown. None of those things bring joy. But when we pause to think about what Christ did for us, there ought to be great joy in our salvation. And I believe if we have the joy in our salvation as we should, if we really realize and understand and be reminded of what God has done for us, it gives us great ability to go and share the gospel with others and see souls come to Christ. I'm praying for souls to be saved. I've been praying this week for that. I'm praying this coming week as we look forward to our special outreach, as people be out going and visiting and knocking on doors and talking to people about the Lord this week. Tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, Thursday, that'll be a blessing. And Saturday, as a bunch of us get together and go down here a couple of blocks away and share the gospel with boys and girls and moms and dads, some of whom have never heard about Jesus, I'm looking forward to seeing people come to Christ this week. And I believe God will do that. God loves to save souls. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be saved. And I'm looking forward to what He's going to do. And I hope that today... This week, this month, this year, you will constantly go back and, and find the joy in your salvation so that you can share that with others.
Well, we're glad to have you with us today, and uh, I hope that the service is a help to you. If you're visiting with us today, thank you for coming and braving on a time change Sunday, no less, to be at church, and uh, we're glad to have you with us. Several of our families are away traveling today. The Tanners are out, so we'll have, uh, Alan's going to be doing junior church this morning, so in just a minute we'll dismiss the boys and girls out there. They're away for a wedding. And uh, the Collards are away today, James and Angela. His grandmother passed away last week, so they left yesterday to travel up to Illinois for a funeral. So be praying for them. Michael Morris is away today. He's headed south of the border on a mission trip, so be praying for him this week as he's going to be working with his hands to build a house. But as they do that, that's a tremendous opportunity for them to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they'll be doing that all week. And uh, he'll be back, I think, by next Sunday, Lord willing, and I've asked him in a couple weeks to share a report of what God does down there. So we have a lot to be praying about, but a lot to be excited about, and a lot to rejoice about as well, and uh, looking forward to all of those things. We'll go ahead and dismiss our boys and girls out now. They're ready to go uh, right out this door with Alan in the back, headed to Junior Church. Let's take our Bibles, turn to the book of Colossians this morning, Colossians chapter 2. Hey, you ought to feel good. We're in the third month of the year when we finally made it to the second chapter of the book. So we're making headway. We're moving along. I don't want to get bogged down, but at the same time, there's so much rich truth, and we want to take our time and not fly through it so fast that we miss the important things. Colossians chapter 2. Last Sunday, as we finished up chapter 1, we really saw Paul's mission and his heart for his mission, his desire to serve God, and his desire, as he said, to warn every man. He wanted to reach every single person that he could with the gospel. That ought to be our desire. That ought to be our mission. That ought to be what we're about, right? God's given us the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Thankful this morning, uh, one of my good friends who pastored the church that I worked at before coming here, Brandon Hudson, he and his dad, and another uh, retired pastor over in India today, right now as we speak, and they're with uh, Billy's family, Billy's parents, and Billy's dad's a pastor over there, and I guess today for them is is now almost tomorrow for us, but uh, they are sharing the gospel there, they're training pastors there. Why? Because there are people in India that need to hear about Jesus. Why are we doing it here? Because there's people in Houston that need to hear about Jesus. I was talking with uh, David Cripps this week as we put together all the details and things come together for their new church starting. Why are we starting a church 15 minutes from here? Because there's people 15 minutes from here that need to hear about Jesus. Why is Mike on a trip to Mexico today? Because there's people in Mexico that need to hear about Jesus. Every creature, warning every man, which person did Jesus not die for, right? No, he died for all. He died for all of them. And so we have a great message to share with all. And we saw Paul's mission, but in chapter 2, he really starts to get specific about his ministry. And I hope this will be a challenge to your heart this morning. I know God has already challenged me with it. What is our ministry? What does it look like? What has God called us to do? If we were to 
take time to go around and everybody to share what vocation they have. We'd have a lot, we have a lot of different vocations represented in this room. We have school teachers. We have, let's see, doctors. We have people who work in various types of business. We have people who work in service industries where they're supporting somebody else. We have people who work in retail. We have people who work in finance. We have people who work at home taking care of their families. That's probably the hardest work of all the work in the air this morning. We have, we have people doing all kinds of things. We have people that build things for a living. We have people that fix things for a living. We have people that uh, work in all kinds of different places. But it, while we have lots of different vocations, God has given us all the same ministry. And as we look at these verses this morning in Colossians 2, I hope we'll be challenged about what our ministry is and then how we can accomplish that ministry better for the Lord. Follow along with me, if you will, in verse 1 through 5 of chapter 2. It says, For I would that ye know that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for them as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Oh, there's so much there in verse 2. Verse 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith. Lord, help us this morning to understand your word and to be convicted and challenged by it and then to be obedient to it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to have a ministry that matters. Can you imagine living your whole life and getting done with it and saying, well, I lived my life, but I'm not sure if it mattered for anything. What did I really accomplish? What did I really do? I think everybody has a desire to have significance, to matter, to do something that counts. I want to make a difference in other people's lives. I want to have a church that matters. I want to have children that I actually had an impact on their lives. And more than just, well, I fed them and kept them clothed and you know, took them to the hospital when they broke bones. No, I want to have even more of an impact than that, even though those are all important things. I want to make a difference in the lives of the people around me, in my neighborhood, my neighbors, the people that I come in contact with. I want my life to count. Everybody in this room has the same ministry from God. God has called all of us to be a minister. There's, yes, I'm the one standing up 
preaching today, but I should not be the only minister here. Even though sometimes we tend to think of that, like, well, he's the minister and we're just here. No, we're all ministers. God has given us all that responsibility. You can see that responsibility in the Great Commission. You can see that responsibility, as Paul talked about at the end of chapter 1, this great mission that God has given us to do. But then as we have this mission, it becomes specific in our ministry of how we accomplish the mission that God has given for us to do. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 1, that in the ministry there is a great labor, the labor of ministry here. In verse 1, Paul wants this church, the church at Colossae that he's writing to, he wants them to know about his great conflict that he has for them. This is his great struggle, his great labor on their behalf. He talks about this. He says, it's for you, that's the church at Colossae, and for them at Laodicea. This is another city. This isn't in the same place where he's writing to. This is another group of people. And for them as have not seen my face in the flesh. Paul says, I want to have a ministry to the people I've seen, the people that know me, and to the people that don't know me, the people that have never seen me. There's a great labor in the ministry Paul, I believe, understood the far-reaching effect of ministry, of serving other people. He understood what he was doing and why he was doing it. I think it's very important that we understand the effects of what we do, that what we do matters, that it does have an effect, that it does have an impact on other people around us. When you serve God out of love by serving other people, you can have a tremendous impact and influence. And it doesn't matter what your vocation is. When you understand your ministry that God has called you to, you can have a great impact. Your ministry, your ability to minister, is not so dependent on your educational level, your economic level, the place that you live, the type of work that you do. Rather, your ministry comes out of your heart for God and your desire to serve others. And God will use anybody in His ministry, no matter what their background is, no matter where they came from, no matter what level society has placed them at, whether they are well-known or not, God can use them. Notice Paul had a ministry to, to the people that he knew. He says, my great conflict that I have for you. Paul's writing a letter to a specific group of people. But who are some other people that Paul had a ministry to as well? Well, I'm looking at some of them. I'm one of them. You're one of them. Anybody that's ever read the book of Colossians is one of them, but it wasn't just descended down to us today. There were people even in that day that Paul had never met face to face, but God had still given him a ministry to. How is that? Well, think about it as you minister to the people around you. You have a, a family, perhaps. You have relatives. You have neighbors. You have people that you come in contact with, people that you know. You, you have a church family. Every single person that's here this morning has had some kind of impact on the other people in this room, even if you don't know their name. 
You ever thought about that? Just your presence has an impact. You say, well, I've never even spoken to them. You still have a ministry to them whether you think about it that way or not. Well, I, I don't teach a class. You still have a ministry to the other people in this room. Now, how you use that ministry is up to you. You, you can use that opportunity to serve and, and be a blessing and to help and, and to do whatever God's gifted you and given you the ability to do, or you can not use it. You can be very selfish with it, but you have a ministry here. You don't have to have a title in front of your name to have a ministry at a Rise Baptist Church. You just have to serve. Serve God and serve others. Paul had a ministry to people that he knew, but Paul also was willing to labor for those that he didn't know. He mentions them in this verse, for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. He's willing to minister even to those who hadn't seen him. Have you thought about the people that you're laboring for that you've never seen their face? I wrote down a few people. What about the people this morning who are gathered in churches in Uganda? Gathered together to worship God in Thailand. Gathered to worship God in Mexico. So I don't have any impact on them. You know, we support missionaries that go to all those places. So, well, they have an impact on them. Do you know why they're able to go? Because somebody gave. Because people support it. People pray for them because God is working through them. You have an impact on people that you'll never see their face until heaven someday. Isn't that a blessing? I think that's a tremendous blessing. It's To me, it, that gives your life a lot more significance, doesn't it? Because sometimes you feel like, oh, my life, it's so crazy right now. All I have time for is what's right here. And that may be true. So do the best with what you have right here. But you still have an impact on people that you can't see. I think of the missionaries and their families. I think of David Cripps and his family and the new church we're starting down there. Our church is going to have an impact on people that we may never meet. And that's a good thing. That's a blessing. You know, you have a ministry to my friends. I got to go on a trip last week and share about what God was doing in our church and people that have come to the Lord and people that are growing in the Lord and people that are discipling other people. And you know what? Some of my friends, they said, wow, that's really encouraging. That's exciting. That's the best news I've heard in a long time. You know, you had a ministry to somebody that you might never meet. That's a blessing. Paul was willing to labor to have, he calls it here, great conflict. It's this idea of I'm willing to fight for them. I'm willing to serve them. I'm willing to go to bat for them. I'm willing to do whatever's necessary for these people, the ones that I know and the ones that I don't know. I'm willing to serve Christ on their behalf. Have you ever thought about laboring for those that you don't know generationally? You may never meet your great-great-great-grandchildren, but your ministry has an effect on them. 
You know, when you look back up the line in your family, you may say, wow, this one was a mess, this happened. If you can look back up, now some of you are first generation Christians, and what I mean by that is somebody told you about Christ, you got saved. There was, if you look back up your family tree, there weren't a lot of Christians that walked with God uh, above you in your family lineage. But some of you are second, third, maybe even fourth generation Christians, maybe even longer. I was talking with a man a couple weeks ago. He, he has traced their family tree all the way back to the early 1600s. And they had godly Christian men and women in their family that they can trace all the way back to that. That's really special. But he told the story about what they were able to find, the first person in their family that came to Christ. This lady heard the gospel and trusted in Jesus. Now, her and her husband had gone to church prior to this. They were part of a well-known church that you would even recognize this particular group of people if I were to name it to you. But in that church, she had never heard the gospel. There's a difference between going to church and trusting in Jesus as your Savior. I hope you understand that. You can go to church your whole life and still not know Jesus. You may know a lot about Him, but if you've never trusted in Him as your Savior, it won't do you any good. Well, she heard the gospel. Someone else told her about Jesus. She got saved. This is back in the 1600s. She said, I'm going to go to that church now. And her husband threatened her that if she were to go to that church, he would, you know, beat her. So she decided to go anyway. And she was the first person in this family that he knew of that had come to Christ. Her ministry has an effect 400 years later. She ended up taking her children. Her husband was not a good man, had to get away from him. They ended up coming to America. This wasn't even in America, obviously. Uh, she comes to America with her family, and, and, and she works, and it's hard, and she has nothing, right? She doesn't know the language. She's just moved to this new place and goes through all the things. But generation after generation after generation goes on, and it's passed down the truth to the next generation. Did every child go on and serve God? No. Did every person that ever was connected to their family, is, are they still doing right? No. But there has been a faithful testimony and a witness that has come down generation by generation. And now to sit and talk to this man and hear him share his testimony. He has a testimony because of what Christ has done for him. But it's in part due to the ministry of somebody 400 years ago who said, this is important enough, I'm going to pass it down to my kids. That's a life of great impact and great importance that makes a difference. Paul, I believe we see his heart here as he talks about this great conflict for others that he would be willing to serve even people that he didn't know. And I would challenge you as you minister, as you serve, realize you have a great and far-reaching impact, far greater than you will ever see in your lifetime. Just like if you were to go out to a lake early in the morning and the water is still and you took a rock and you threw it out there in the lake and you saw those ripples travel out from where that rock landed. Yes, it made an impact in that one spot. 
But the ripple effect had an impact on the entire body of water. And God will use you the same way. Because here's the truth. Really, I believe every person has an impact for good or for bad, good or evil, depending on how they minister. How they minister. Paul here is talking about his heart for ministry for these people. Notice, though, in verses 2 and 3, because while we need to understand the labor that's involved in ministry and the great heart that he has for him, in verses 2 and 3, we really see, I believe, the purpose of ministry. The purpose of ministry. Verse 2, he says, that their hearts, here's the purpose, that their hearts might be comforted. We see the ministry of encouragement, right? That they would be comforted, being knit together in love. It's a beautiful way to describe it. You've probably seen knitting, right? Somebody who's knitted things together and they take two separate strands of yarn and with those knitting needles that they wrap around. I love watching somebody who's really good at knitting because they can do it without looking. It's pretty amazing, you know. I, one time, several years ago, when my wife and I were first married, and we don't have a lot now, but we really didn't have a lot of money back then, so one year for Christmas, instead of buying Christmas presents, we decided that we were going to knit hats and scarves for our family members. It was a great idea. It was very frugal, save a lot of money. That was so much work. So every night, we'd, I'd get home from work, or she'd get home from work. She was teaching school at the time, and this was before we had children, and, and we'd sit there, and we'd knit. <laughs> You'd have loved to see me doing that, wouldn't you? Except I wasn't that smooth. For me, it was more like... I learned, though, the fatter the yarn and the fatter the needles, the faster the knitting. That was my secret. So I found these knitting needles that looked about like this. And I got this yarn that was about this big around. And after, you know, only a few rows, all of a sudden I had a scarf. You know, it just, it came out really fast. Now it also had big holes in it and everything else. You kind of had to wrap it around yourself six times to get warm. But hey, that was the beginning and ending of my knitting career. <laughs> Maybe someday I'll pick it up again. But isn't it amazing that you can take two strands of yarn and, and with people more skilled than I, you can weave them together, you can knit them together, and they're put together in such a way that they really become one thing, one garment, one sweater, one hat, whatever it is. He talks about their hearts here being knit together in love. Love, I think, is the greatest binding agent that there has ever been and ever will be. Love is what motivated a holy God to send His Son to die for wicked sinners. That's a powerful force. Love is what causes two very different people to one day notice one another and begin to want to spend time together and then make lifelong commitments one to another and have children together and share a life together in marriage. 
love. That's a powerful thing. It binds people together. Love is what causes a group of people from different backgrounds, even different languages and cultures, and live in different neighborhoods to come together and worship God together on a Sunday morning at a rise. That's love that binds it together. Or it should be love. Because if you're coming for another reason, you probably won't stay. Because some people do, they come not for love, they come for a show. Well, a show won't keep you. It might get you in, but it won't keep you. Some people don't come for the show, they come to be the show. (laughs) Well, eventually, people get tired of watching your show. And you may not leave, but they probably will. (laughs) They'll go find somebody else's show to watch, right? That won't keep you. Some people come out of duty. Well, duty is, is good at times. Sometimes you just have to get up and do it, like on time change Sunday morning. <laughs> but duty won't keep you in the long run. Love. Love is what binds us together. Why? Because it's the love of God. He says that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love. We see the purpose of ministry here is to encourage, right? There's an idea of encouragement, comfort. I want to comfort you this morning and encourage you this morning. We can be encouraged and united in love as we walk together to be more like Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. You can be comforted this morning no matter what your situation is. There is great hope in your situation. Your house may be dirty. Your bills may be unpaid. Your work may be less than fulfilling. Your problem may seem insurmountable. Your family drama may seem unresolvable. Your pain may be indescribable. But we serve a God who is unstoppable. He is over all. He is the God of all comfort. You can take your burdens to the Lord and... Leave them there. Leave them at the foot of the cross. Confess your sin. Confess your hurt. Confess your pain. Confess your confusion, your problems, your inadequacy, your inability. He is a God of comfort. Paul writes this letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says that their hearts might be comforted. Whatever burden you're carrying this morning, I want you to know there's comfort with the Lord. Doesn't mean the burden goes away, but He's there to bear our burdens for us. So that's why He wants us to give our burdens to Him. So it doesn't go away, but He carries it for us if we'll give it to Him. Too many times we come and we say, okay, God, here's my burden. I just want to tell you about it. Now I'm going to take it back and carry it myself. 
I'll take this burden. You can't carry it. You need the Lord. He says, take your burdens to the Lord. But we're human beings, right? I'm only human. So we give it to the Lord and then inadvertently something happens and we pick it back up. Oh, this problem. I think, oh God, I confess, I'm feeling good. Everything was great. We go home and we see that pile of mail sitting there and go, oh, I know what's in that pile. I got to deal with that. And we pick that burden right back up. So we got to take it and give it back to the Lord. Say, God, you're going to have to help me deal with this. I need to deal with it. It's my responsibility. I need to take care of this situation. But God, you're going to have to intervene. Help me not to be worried and upset and frustrated that it affects the joy of my salvation, which is why I can't tell anybody else about the Lord, because I have no joy. Lord, help me to have the joy of my salvation, and I'm going to trust you with this. Or we give our burden to the Lord. God, I'm sick. I don't know what to do about my health. And, and we feel good for a moment, and then we go home, and we wake up the next morning. Oh, I can't get out of bed. Or, oh, this is awful. Or, oh, this pain. And we go to the doctor, and we get a bad diagnosis. And what am I going to do with this? And we got to go right back to the Lord again and find comfort in Him. Or like most of us today, you know, we, we come to church. It's God's good. We're excited. Let's go. And we go home and we open up our phone or we turn the TV on. Bad, awful, world is ending, you know. There are a lot of bad, awful things. But understand when you're watching TV, they really want you to watch TV so that they can sell more commercials, okay. At the end of the day, it is a business. There's comfort with the Lord. Encourage your hearts. Jesus can take all those burdens away. Why? Because we're complete in Him. Christ is the all-sufficient Savior. And then he talks about their hearts being united or knit together in love. I'd like to make a couple of comments on this subject of love that I think apply to some current issues of the day in our world. There's lots of issues that we could talk about, but I'm just going to highlight two because it's been very much in the news this week. Number one, the election. And number two, the coronavirus. The election going on right now, and I know it's the long process and we're going to hear about it endlessly. You ever wondered if all those billions of dollars that were spent on that were used for something good, how much more could be done? Okay, I understand. But the election highlights the fact that people love different things. That's why there's all the fighting and arguing and name-calling and problems. Why? Because people love different things. Love is a powerful force, but sometimes it's used for things that are not good. The election season, as has been demonstrated for a long time in our country, is that this election season demonstrates that there is a great divide about the things that we love. That's why there's so much energy put into the campaigns, what people love is very different. But as a Christian, God's very clear about what we're supposed to love. Do you remember there was a religious man that came to Jesus and he said, what's the greatest commandment? And what did Jesus say? He said, 
Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, all thy strength. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Why is there so much strife going on? It's because people love very different things. Say, well, I thought we were supposed to be united together in love. And in fact, if you watch and listen to a lot of the philosophy of the world, that's kind of, they, they keep talking about this idea a lot. Like, we need to all just love one another. We need to all come together in love. Here's the problem. You can't come together in love when you love different things. Well, this person doesn't take interest in my issue, the thing that matters to me. We all have different things that we love. That's why we don't love each other. That's why people are fighting. That's why people are upset. That's why people call names. It's not because we don't love. It's because we love different things. So as a Christian, here's the thing we have to understand from the Word of God. There's only one thing or one person that we can love that can bring us together. And it's the Lord. And we love Him because He first loved us. You're never going to get everybody to agree on everything. Because that's loving, well, I love this and you love that. You can't, you can't even get people to agree about things that don't matter. Like if we tried to decide where we were all going to go eat lunch today, we wouldn't be able to come to a consensus, would we? There'd be somebody say, well, I'm not eating that food. I don't like it. I'm allergic to it. You know, I got this, I got that. Why? Because we love different things. There's only one thing, one person that can unite us in love. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So this, this election year is you're going to be bombarded with text messages, junk mail, commercials, you know, late night talk shows telling you what to think and what to love as a Christian. Turn all that off and open the Word of God and get to know and love your Savior. And then go out and do the best you can and vote for the person that you think would allow you to have the freedom to continue to love God like you should. But the love for God is the only thing that really unites people. And see, the world has tried to take that idea. Well, we should just love each other. We should get along. And it's a nice thought. But it doesn't work when you take out the God who is love. There's no uniting in love in this world when you don't have the God who is love. You say, well, we don't want God. We just want love. You can't have love without God. Because God is love. And people argue, well, if God is love, then everybody should just get along. No, we, we love God. So as much as we love God, we will agree. But where we disagree, it's because in some way or another, we're not quite with God where we should be. It's just how it works. The closer you get to God, the closer you get to other people who are getting close to God. But the further you are from God... 
you're still you're going to be far away from other people. And if you're close to God and other people are far away from God, it's going to be hard for that relationship to be what it should be. The Bible says it this way, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Love unites, but it's only the love of God that unites us because God is love. The Bible is very clear that because of our sin, we are separated from God. Sin separates. Love sent Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be forgiven of our sins, so we could be united with God, so we could have fellowship with God. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you are God's enemy. There's no close relationship there, but there can be because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. If you're trying to find someone else to agree with during election time, the place of agreement is found around the Lord Jesus Christ and in love for Him. A lot more could be said about that. But as a Christian, I would just remind you, make sure you love God and His Word more than anything or anyone else. And then second, this coronavirus. The word I think of when I think of that right now is fear. Now, if you read your Bible, you know the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Now, is it a real thing? thing? Is it a real problem out there? Yes, it is. Are people getting sick? Yes. Do we need to exercise caution? Yes. Do we need to take care of ourselves and be good stewards? Yes. All of those things, yes. But we can't let fear control us. We need to instead be united in our hearts together in love. So don't be afraid but be wise. Be wise. Use the wisdom God has given you. Don't be afraid. Love God and trust Him. To a believer, getting sick is not the end of the world. To a believer, even dying is not the end. Really, it's just the next step to spending eternity with the Lord. Now, I'm not out trying to get sick. I'm going to try to be healthy, take care of myself. You should take care of yourself and take care of your family. But trust the Lord. You don't need to get in a fight at the grocery store over toilet paper. Do you know what motivates that? It's not love. It's fear. It's fear. What about, what if, how am I going to do this? What's going to happen? Those are the responses of fear. Paul said, our ministry, it should be to unite hearts together in love. But we have to live that out as an example, don't we? And listen, I'm a human being too. I have fears. So I've got to confess those to the Lord. God, forgive me. For being fearful and not trusting in you. God, give me wisdom. How do I take care of my wife and my children? God, I, I want to be wise. I want to be foolish. But Lord, help me to love. Use this opportunity. 
And Christians, we have to realize every calamity in this world is another opportunity God gives us to share the gospel with other people. Because all of a sudden people realize, I may have it all together, but if I get sick, it's, it's gone, it's lost. I was talking with a man this week, we were talking about hurricanes. And he, was, he had helped a lot of people after Hurricane Katrina. He told the story of they were set up there handing out water and food, and this lady came driving in in a very nice suit, driving a very nice car. And she got out of the car, and he said, Ma'am, can I help you? And she just kind of had this blank stare in her eyes. He said, Ma'am, can I help you? You've come here. What can I do for you? And she said, Help me. How can you help me? I've lost everything. She said, What I'm wearing right now is the last piece of clothing I own. The rest is gone. My house is gone. I'm driving this nice car, yes, but it's the only thing I have. How can you help me, she said. God will allow things in people's lives sometimes to get them to the place where they realize they can't help themselves anymore. And only God can help them. So when there's struggle and calamity and pain and suffering and sickness and disease, even death, we don't rejoice in those things. We ought to weep with those who weep. But we still ought to look for an opportunity to say, yes, this world is a bad place. Yes, there is sin, there's sickness, there's death, there's a lot of bad things. But those are all, as the Bible teaches us, as a result of the curse. And I can tell you about a God who is love, who has an answer to all those problems. Just as I was thinking and reading this, I thought, that, to me, that those two ideas that are big in the news right now apply very well from this passage of Scripture. What you love will determine what you do. What you love will determine how you spend your time, how you spend your money. When you love God, you will begin to have a better understanding of God's love for you. I want you to continue on in this verse and really bring this passage so that you can see it all together here. He says, being knit together in love, back in verse 2, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding. We sang the song this morning, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. This is a confident assurance that we know of what God has done for us and that Jesus has forgiven our sins and that we have eternal life in him. And so as we come together in love one with another and in love for God, we can have full assurance, a better, clearer understanding of God's love for us and his relationship with us. He continues on to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Our yellow banner over here talks about growing our knowledge of God. That's part of walking worthy as we grow in our knowledge of God. You see this in the back half of verse 2 here. He talks about the full assurance of understanding. How do we know God and know His love? We walk closer with Him each day. We confess our sin. We submit to His word in obedience. Do you know how I know and experience and enjoy the love that comes in my marriage, it's the more I spend time with her, 
The more I talk to her, the more I serve her, the more I look for ways to meet her needs. It's amazing. The more you love somebody, the more you get to experience their love. Now, the problem is, as human beings, sometimes that breaks down because people are sinners. But if you want to experience God's love more, walk closer with Him. Love Him more. Sometimes people want to treat God sort of like a cold swimming pool. They want to go stick their toe in and check it out for a little while. But they don't want to fully commit. If you're just dabbling your toe in the swimming pool, you're not experiencing what it's like. The way to experience God more fully is to dive in fully. I already quoted the verse once. I'll quote it again. Draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. If you're only testing out the waters and thinking what it might be like and trying to somehow extrapolate from what your toe is feeling to what your whole body is going to feel like, you're never going to fully comprehend it. That's why people who are have been walking with God a long time, they, they have a sense of a relationship with God that's so different than other people. Have you ever met somebody like that? And you go, how did they get there? Like, I want what they have, but I, I don't, that's not where I'm at. Like, I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to do, but they just seem a lot happier and more content. Everything's figured out. It's because they've been in the pool longer. We had a pool in my backyard growing up. And we'd jump in that pool and swim all the time. I mean, when I was little, we'd spend two, three hours a day in the pool as soon as it got even remotely warm enough to get in. We loved it. We'd swim all the time, and people would come over and say, Come on, get in the pool. It feels great. I'm not sure. I don't know if I want to. I don't know if I feel good. No, it does. And, you know, we'd splash them. And they wouldn't like that sometimes. Say, but it'll feel great when you get in. I think there's some parallel to that in walking with the Lord. Sometimes we get so close, you know, we're kind of dip our toe into the pool. We get close enough. Sometimes we get a little splash up on us every once in a while. We're kind of like, eh, not sure. Boy, it feels good on that hot summer day, though, when you just get all the way in the pool. We used to do that. We'd mow the grass, take our shoes and socks off, and just dive in the pool. I'm sure mom loved cleaning all that grass out of the pool. You know, <laughs> We didn't want to wait. We just want to enjoy it all. Hey, can I encourage you this morning? God's not worried about the grass clippings on you. He's not worried about your dirt. He's not worried about your mess. A lot of people are like, well, I've got to take a shower. I've got to get all cleaned up before I go in the pool. I understand that in your backyard to maintain the, you know, the levels of consistency with the chemicals and all that stuff. But that's not how God is. He'll take you. He'll take you. See, there's this riches of the full assurance of understanding. If you want to be convinced of that and enjoy that, you've got to jump in all the way. And the more you do, the more you 
walk in the Lord and walk with the Lord and enjoy the presence of God in your life, the more you feel that full assurance of understanding and enjoy the riches. And, and it's like you're just getting started. Shandy and I, this past week, got to spend some time with a couple that we haven't seen in 17 years. When we knew them, they were a lot closer to the ages that we are now. Now they're just really old. No, that's, that's not true. <laughs> Actually, she doesn't look like she's changed at all. He just looks really old. That's, that's what I have to look forward to as well. The other day when I shaved my beard off, Chris says, Daddy, look, you look like you did back when you got engaged, you know, and there was the picture. And Mommy still looks the same, you know. But what was special about spending time with them was hearing how God's been working in their life. It hasn't all been easy over the last 17 years or 15 years or however long it's been. But God's been good and he's grown them and they've learned and they've changed. And they still had a ministry to us today just like they had ministry years ago. They have a better understanding of the riches of the full assurance of understanding now than they did back then. And I would tell you I have a better understanding today than I did 10 years ago, 15 years ago. It's wonderful to walk with the Lord. It's wonderful to spend time in His Word. But don't treat God like a cold swimming pool. Just jump in. And the more time you spend with Him, the better it will be. See, there's the this great labor in ministry. There's this purpose of ministry. And then finally, verses 4 and 5, I want you to see the perseverance. The perseverance of ministry. This will be quick, but verse 4 he says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joy in beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Being encouraged and united in love for Christ allows us to more fully comprehend the knowledge of God so that we can live our lives with wisdom as we apply God's truth to our everyday situation. Living with God's Word to guide us is absolutely important so that we are not deceived or led astray from the truth. Notice the danger of enticing arguments. He says, this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. You may know the truth, you may have experienced the truth, you may be walking in the truth, but if you don't continue in that, you can be led astray by enticing words. Just because words are pleasant or enticing or convincing doesn't make them true. The Bible says it this way. Every word of God is true. It's pure. We have to be careful about being led away by enticing words. Jesus said it this way. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. If we're going to stay strong and persevere in our ministry, we need to beware of enticing words and enticing arguments and be fully convinced of and growing in our knowledge of and committing ourselves to study the truth 
that is God's word. But then notice also the importance of order to your faith. He says in verse 5, For though I be absent in the flesh, I'm not with you right now in person, yet I'm with you in the Spirit. I'm encouraging you. I'm, I'm excited for you. I'm praying for you. What? Joying and beholding, he says, first of all, your order. I've enjoyed to see your order in your faith, that you've taken what you've believed and you've put it in order. For things to have order is to line them up, to have an order, to have a, a process, to have a, a way to do things. The Bible says that we are to do all things decently and in order. We should take that and have an arrangement of things in sequence. I would ask you this, do you have order to your faith? Some people have no order to their faith, and that's why their, their spiritual life looks like a roller coaster. Because there's no order to it. There's no sense of what they're supposed to do or what they believe. It's just kind of a, an emotional roller coaster. Someday, boy, it's feeling good, and I believe, and I'm excited, and I'm doing this. And then the next day, it's like they're gone because they had no order to their faith. That is why... And I, this may sound like a broken record. If it does, I, I'm not apologizing for it. That's why we are so um, focused on taking people and help them understand what they believe and why they believe it. That's why we spend all that money on those books and have people study it together. It's not because we think that you are dumb. It's not because we think that, you know, well, you just don't know anything, so we've got to start with the basics. No. We need an order. We need a good foundation to what we believe and why we believe so that we can take it and share it with somebody else too. There are a lot of people as Christians, I've read the statistics, who have never once shared their faith with somebody else. How sad. Maybe it's because they don't have the joy of their salvation. Maybe it's because they don't know how. Oh, maybe you think, well, why do they keep having that class over and over? Brad just keeps teaching. This is the second time now. In under a year, we're teaching people how to share their faith. And we're probably going to do it again, right, Brad? I think we are. And again and again. Why? Because we need an order to our faith. It's not about that, and you've got to understand this. This is not legalism. This is not creating this weird set of things. That we, no. It's rather God has laid his word out in order for us. Right? He's put it down for us, the truth, it's laid out, and we need to take it and study it and live it and, and learn to have some order in it. I have order in my life that helps me to stay consistent, and you should too. Like, I brush my teeth every day. In fact, usually at least two times a day, sometimes more. You know, if you don't have that little bit of order in your life, so I don't need to, it doesn't matter this day, that day, you know, I'll skip for a while, I'll come back. You'll have a surprise in store when you visit the dentist next time. You say, well, it wasn't important to have all that discipline, that order. I didn't need it. Some people do that with how they eat, right? You know, that gets expensive in clothes, right? You're always growing or shrinking, you know, just kind of <laughs> looks like breathing. Why? Because we don't have order. You know, one day, I'm going crazy. It was really bad on Abe. He's been working on his diet and helping his cholesterol, and he's doing good. So then we go on this men's retreat and just feed him as much red meat as he could have, you know, and he's like, I can't do this, right? 
Why? Because he needs order. And that's a good thing. That's good. It's good to have order in your life. It's good to have a time when you wake up and a time when you go to bed. Children need order, right? All right, time to go to school, time to clean your room. They have, have their list of chores that they do. When you go to work, there's order, isn't there? There's organization. There's a way things are put together. You know how things are functioning. I've been, when I was uh, working, it sounds bad like I don't work now, but, you know, when, when I worked at a real job, that sounds bad too. <laughs> when I worked outside of the church, I, we went through a, uh, a big merger in our company. And that was the worst time. Why? Because there wasn't good order. Nobody knew who was in charge of what. We had all kinds of different software systems that were, you know, some of them overlapped completely. Some of them didn't work together at all. You know, nobody knew where to go to get the answers. You know, you used to go to this person to get this approval for this particular thing, and now you go to them, and they're like, well, they told me I'm not in charge of that anymore. Well, who is? I don't know. Like, well, great. Sure makes my job a lot harder. When there's no order, we don't know what to do. Paul commends this church for their order in the faith. To me, we ought to have an order to our faith. There's a time to come to church. There's a time to go home. There's a time to take a nap. There's a time to have people over to your house. There's a time to study God's word. And there's a time to study through various topics and books of the Bible so we can understand certain areas why because God is a God of order and we need order in our faith I think we can persevere much better in our faith if we have an order to it and he finishes off with the steadfastness he says and behold joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ he takes us right back to the foundation of it all foundation of our ministry the foundation of our life the foundation of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith is Jesus. It's Christ. Do you have a foundation to your faith? And what is it on? Boy, when you talk to people, and I'm thankful for the opportunities I get, and I hope that you're taking them as well, and you really ask people what they believe and why they believe it, you get all kinds of answers. Now, I'd encourage you as a Christian, if you want to be a good soul winner, learn to not be shocked and surprised when people give you strange answers to what they believe and why they believe. You'll get some strange ones, and if you're going, what? What's wrong with you? You know, just, okay. But then I want to be able to give them a reason for the hope that lies within me. I want to be able to say, this is why... My foundation's in Jesus. Are you founded upon him in your faith? He talks about their steadfastness. Why? Because things are going to come along and try to knock you off course. Things are going to come along and cause trouble in your life. That's why you need a good foundation. Jesus told the story about the house that was built on the solid rock. And then the other man who built his house on the sand. And the rains came and the floods came. And the house on the rock stood firm. 
that house on the sand is washed away. We need an order to our faith that is founded on Jesus Christ so that we can walk worthy in the ministry that God has given to each one of us of encouragement and uniting hearts together in love. Realizing that the ministry God has given us is to the people we know and to people we don't know. People will never see. I believe if we live a ministry like that through our lives, we will have a life and a ministry that matters. For now and for eternity. Father, help us. We need you because this ministry is from you. It's, it's really not ours, ultimately. It's your ministry that you've called us to. In your word, you call it the ministry of reconciliation. Being an ambassador for Christ. Lord, I believe we are only able to minister effectively as we have first been ministered to ourselves. And we need your ministry to us this morning through your spirit. We've heard, had your ministry through your word. Lord, work in us. Convince us of your love and your care and your comfort. Lord, if there's somebody here this morning that's never trusted you as Savior, I pray that they would do that today. Stop trusting in their own way and their own abilities. Put their trust in you. Lord, for the one here today who has trusted in you, but they continue to go back and worry and fret and are discouraged and afraid because of the things around them. Help them to find their hope and their comfort in you. Lord, help us as Christians in a world that is often very anti-God and anti-Christian that we would know what it is to have your love and to experience the love that comes from other brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me if you're able as we have our time of response here? Maybe you would like to come. I'd like to pray with you if I can help you. If you'd like to confess something to God, you come do that right now. Maybe you say, God, help me to minister this week as I'm sharing the gospel with others. Give me opportunities. God, help me even this Saturday. I'm going to go meet with those boys and girls. Help me to have the right heart to minister for you. Whatever God would have you do, take time now to respond to him.